You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. Welcome back, friends. Please make sure your pod seat and tray table are in their upright and locked position. The airlock is sealed and docking clamps have been released for an on-time departure to the Functional Nerdverse. Patrick! Patrick, 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 Patrick. I'm so excited. <laughs> in, the so event excited. Of, in the event of a water landing, we're really, really, really far off course. I mean, yeah, yeah, this is different for us, but this is so, this is like such a wonderful kind of different. Okay. You're excited. I understand. I know. I'm very excited. So I need to contextualize my excitement for people. I mentioned recently on our, our most recent episode before this that, that you know, sometimes we get really excited about certain episodes and, and bookings and things. And we kind of do like the, the Christmas countdown where it's like this many more sleeps until I we get to record with whomever. And uh, this has been one of my this many more sleeps until I get to record episodes for a while now. Because we have Mary Roach, who is literally my absolute favorite science writer, nature writer, also humor writer operating in the known universe. Mary, welcome. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. How can I live up to this? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've been told that I have a habit of overselling, but I, but I believe in profit margins on these things. So yeah. We, we were telling you, Mary, about picks of the week, and I'll just throw it out there that, that Tracy has picked your books oh, in the past. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I wondered why my sales were good, and now I know. It's just you. It's just you. It's just us. Just us. We are really, we're kind of carrying this all on our backs for you, so you're welcome. Um, so obviously, you know, if, if you don't know Mary Roach, but you're a listener to this podcast, I think I can't overstate how much the sort of functional nerd verse can overlap with, with your work, Mary, but I, I want to kind of I'm going to throw it over to you for a second here, Mary. Talk to us about, you're a science writer with with the sort of dry, wonderful, humorous edge. You've written books about what happens to our bodies after death in the form of stiff. You've written about sex from every angle, literally and figuratively speaking, and bonk. You've written about uh, animal crime and how we sort of like negotiate our relationships with animals and fuzz. And now you're revisiting one of your your most beloved books, Packing for Mars, for a really different audience. You're writing Packing for Mars for kids. So take us into this. How how do you function not only as a as a science writer and a science journalist for adults, but flip this switch to make it so that the things that you do so well can work for a younger reader too? Yeah. Uh, in the past, I've been I've been speaking directly to nerds of the world, and and now I'm I, I feel it's important to start cre- you know, to create them from an early age. So it's my contribution to um, winning over young people's hearts and minds. Um, well, the book came about because well, a couple of things. My publisher, W.W. Norton. Uh, started a young readers division, which they didn't have before. And they said, oh, hey, we're going to take Packing for Mars and we're going to have it adapted. You know, it's kind of like you send it out somewhere and people kind of do this thing to it. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean you're going to have it? You do to my child. What do you mean you're going to have it adapted? It's going to have my name on it. Who's, Who's doing this? And they're like, well, you can do it. We won't give you very much money, but you could do it. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it because it was COVID. That's the other thing going on. I couldn't go anywhere. And I also feel that, you know, my mindset is not really very far away from a 10-year-old. So it wasn't going to be a tremendous challenge to to translate the material for, for that audience. You know, their kids are curious. They like gross stuff. They're kind of a lot of them are kind of naturally nerdy. So uh, to me, it was uh, kind of kind of a um, kind of a no brainer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm sorry. It's just terrifying. I, I, I think that I would have been in your exact shoes. It's just terrifying to think, yeah, we're going to send your, your manuscript to somebody else and have them adapt it for X, Y, Z. Excuse me. What? Right. I know. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was okay with, with other people doing the reading for audiobooks because I thought, you know, I'm not an actor and I don't have the energy for that. Although now I am doing it myself and wish I had done them all. But but to have somebody yeah, re, just actually take the whole thing and 
I don't. I, yeah, yeah, this no. isn't like they sold Hungarian translation rights, and you're like, yeah. "Yep, I'm I, I'm tapping out. This is not for me. I don't know how to do that." <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Although I do think sometimes, I, you know, I never have looked at. I've never taken a Hungarian. I do have a Hungarian translation actually of Stiff, <laughs> and I almost kind of wanted to take it to somebody who speaks Hungarian and say, just read me a random paragraph here. And I'm just curious how, <laughs> how far away this, this actually is. But you know, it's very easy with a foreign edition just to not think about it. It's like, uh, well, okay. that's, that's Hungary, whatever. <laughs> uh, okay. So this, this brings up a wild tangent. So, so <laughs> bear with me for a second. There is a film coming out. I've seen the trailer for it and it's about a, uh, a, uh, an, an author who writes a book in English and when it gets translated into Spanish, I believe the person who translates it basically rewrites it as this steamy romance novel. Oh my God. <laughs> that becomes a massive hit in their country. And so this author who, who isn't really having great sales, but is a huge hit in this, in this Spanish speaking country goes on bookstore there (laughs) and, and finds out that this, this person has, you know, changes the book and there's, it, it, it looks absolutely hilarious to me. That's, you know what you have to see, uh, I can't show it to people because this is a podcast, but uh, the Russian language edition of packing for mars the cover is like soft core porn it is <laughs> you it is um this naked woman and she's in a spacecraft and she's waving out the window and there's a guy in a you know an eva suit the space suit uh-huh, yeah and he's waving in his big white bulky suit and she is naked of course her hair is not floating i mean it's a terrible cheesy <laughs> illustration and i saw it and i thought Oh my God! I have no idea what's in this book. I secretly love that cover. <laughs> That's <laughs> it's amazing. So, it's so bad. Her scarf is carefully positioned over her titties. So, of yes, yes. Uh, as... So it is a little bit discreet. But this might be, for all I know, that translation might be a softcore porn no- novel about a woman. In- oh, we have just opened vistas of possibility. <laughs> Now it all becomes clear. Oh, so, man. so, uh, so thinking about packing for Mars in its original form, and now what packing for Mars becomes as you kind of, you know, gently massage it into shape to become what it needs to be for kids. Uh, a little background here: I teach at a place called the Illinois Mathematics and Science Academy, which is a residential public STEM school for gifted kids. It's like, you know, like the X Men Academy or Hogwarts for hackers or something very normal like that. And one of the things that we do is we have programs where students from around the state of Illinois can come and take classes in person or online with with educators who work at our school. And the idea is it's supposed to be if you don't have challenging enough stuff at your homeschool uh, that you can get additional supplementary stuff from us, at least for students who you know aren't the high school age enrollees that we have. And the folks in, in our uh, Center for Teaching and Learning department that do this we're doing a whole unit on how do we colonize Mars and like, how do we travel to Mars? And very excitedly, one of the educators in that, in that working unit grabbed packing for Mars, the the 2013 packing for Mars and was like, we're going to use this with the kids. And it was like fourth graders. (laughs) And they had, (laughs) you Uh see where I'm going here, right? Uh Oh, yes. (laughs) Right. And, and so she was like reading through it and like, we can Uh excerpt some chapters and she's like, oh no, oh no, 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 no. Oh, oh, I can't. Uh, I just ordered like a hundred copies of these and oh, we cannot no. use them. So um, on the upside, hundred copies. <laughs> Downside, uh, they didn't get used for that intended purpose. Oh, yes. The three, the three dolphin club chapter. Indeed. Yes. And so I guess what I'm winding up towards here is <laughs> some of the things that are peak Mary Roach are yes. things that can't manifest, shall we say, in the same way in this this yes. other version of the text, right? So how do you thread the needle between this is who I am as a writer, this is my voice, this is what I find fun, and these kids, you know, may not have had, you know, health classes that explain everything <laughs> to them yet. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Uh, I, I did hate to lose the zero gravity intercourse chapter. 
Um, but uh, surprisingly little really had to be taken out. I would say that chapter was not, that was the first one to hit the cutting room floor. I had, I mean, the Pecky for Mars, the adult one is 80,000 words. The kid's book is 20,000. So two thirds of it is going to go anyway. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not, it's not that hard to, I mean, some of my favorite chapters in the book, uh, the, the engineering a space toilet and testing it on the zero gravity flight, the fecal simulant, all that stuff is all that good stuff is front and center <laughs> with the kids and, uh, the space food, the not bathing, um, all of that stuff works great for kids. I mean, my, my, <laughs> they love not bathing. They're going to endorse yeah. that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was uh, surprisingly easy to do. It, it required more line by line rewriting than I kind of thought. Cause I initially thought, well, I'm about as mature as an 11 year old kid. So this is going to be a piece of cake. But in fact, there's a, there's a fair amount of massaging, just simplifying sentence by sentence, just so you're not kind of cramming three ideas into a sentence there's but I, I had a good editor who I just did a sample chapter and he went through and highlighted here's here's what needs to be rewritten and why and then you kind of it's like learning another language you know you kind of go all right I get the rhythm of it I kind of understand sentences need to be a little bit shorter but no talking down to kids no I mean kids kids like to be challenged by adult like adult like language, you know, there wasn't, so there wasn't that kind of like, Hey kids, don't you think it'd be, you know, that, that kind of gorge, gorge. (laughs) (laughs) none of that, none of that. So, uh, so it, so it's, it was a, it was actually a fun, a fun thing to do. I would, I would do it again. Probably not with bonk. No, no. (laughs) It'd be tricky with with stiff. You could pull it off with gulp because again, they like the gross. Yes. Gulp, gulp would would be a, a natural fit. I think stiff could even. I think stiff could even possibly be done, though. I don't know how great the sales would be. On yeah, Halloween. yeah. I, You'd need a certain kind of. Maybe if it came out on Halloween. I don't know. Yeah, so, yeah. Something, timing. Something like yeah. that. And I don't even know. I don't. This this whole world of young readers books is is new to me. I don't know how books make it into schools uh, or not make it into schools, whether it's, you know, you're, are you trying to reach the parents or so, so it's, it's all new to me, but, the, but mm-hmm. I, I mostly just focused on the, the writing, <clears throat> the writing of it, which was fun. And plus the design is really fun and you, you oh, know, yeah. choosing the photographs and all that. I'm going to, I'm going to rewind a minute to some very important, a uh, very important inquiry I have for Patrick. Patrick, I do believe this may be the first time granted I have not been here for like all 12 years of the podcast, but I'm going to guess this is the first time the words fecal simulant have appeared. <laughs> probably. Probably. Yeah, let's, probably. Let's, I'd have to look it up. Yeah. Let's do uh, instances three, four, and five. Ready? Fecal simulant. Fecal simulant. Fecal simulant. There you go. Okay. Now we've covered it. The next person who says it and is like, surely, I just like, no, actually, you're fifth in line. You're not even on the podium, bro. <laughs> like, you didn't, you didn't make it. Sorry. Didn't happen. So I... I have to ask because for me, I think I, I teach I teach writing, and uh, my students always sort of struggle with the idea that nonfiction can tell a story that is interesting and uses many of the same tools as fiction writers use. And so, I, I would love to kind of hear about like what are some of the behind the scenes experiences that you've had in the course of your research to create these many different super cool books that you think people would never imagine that you're doing like what are, what are some of the, the research experiences and steps that you've had to take that sure. would probably surprise folks? Sure. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's so important for me to have some kind of narrative, even if just sort of it's me going somewhere and that becomes the narrative uh, rather than sort of the classic nonfiction narrative that starts at the beginning and goes all the way through the book that traces, you know, the rise and fall of some famous person or whatever. Um, I, I really do what I can to have a you know a, a, a scene and a setting and characters and dialogue, and uh, so uh, you know I'm not just wanting to do interviews and put together the material. Nobody wants to slog through that, or not nobody. I not me. <laughs> I should say not me. Nobody <laughs> equals not me. Uh, uh, so so um, I 
uh, like for with packing for Mars, for example, uh, I, I heard about a, a, there was a cadaver test being done. And I thought, well, my, the stiff readers, all my stiff fans, they, they'll like that. We've got to get a cadaver in there. I've got to cover this. It was a capsule splashdown test, Mm -hmm. but it was being done. It was on an impact sled because, uh, you know, crash test dummy is designed for head on or side impact. And these are like, well, the capsule turns sideways and hits the water sideways is the you know, the parts of the space capsule and the suit going to interact with the astronaut, break an arm, that kind of thing. So they needed to know, and they had to do a cadaver test. And I'm like, great, I'd like to be there. And NASA was like, I don't think so. I think the Constellation people would be uncomfortable. I'm like, no, 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 I know them. I've talked to them. They're, they're good with it. And they're like, oh, no, it's the people at OSU who have the crash sled. I'm like, oh, I know, I know John Bolte. He's fine with it. <laughs> Finally, the woman at NASA goes, Mary, it's not any one thing. It's just everything. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, like, oh, I'm just trying to get a set. And they, they kind of didn't understand. What is she trying to do here? I'm like, I'm What's just- a girl got to do to watch a cadaver splash down? I'm trying to get a narrative here. And so I called the people at OSU, John Bolte, and, I, and he goes, Mary, just show up. <laughs> on the day of the test, just show up. So I did, I showed up and I'm like, oh, hello everyone. And the people from NASA, the scientists from NASA are like, oh, who are you? And I said, oh, I'm Mary Roach. And they're like, Mary Roach. <laughs> and they <I'm> like, <laughs> literally run downstairs to this other little secret room and shut the door and they called NASA Public Affairs, the woman that I'd been dealing with. And they said, Mary Roach is here. And the, the woman at NASA Public Affairs, bless her heart, goes, what? Just talk to her. So I'm like, I go, I'd like this is the, and I, I had the uh, same thing with the Japanese Aerospace Agency. I had this wonderful narrative planned where I would be there for a, was basically like a psychological test in a simulated capsule that the astronaut candidates would be going through and they'd be observed by psychologists and they said, yes, you could be there. And then at the last minute they said, no, you can't be here. And I'm like, well, I have a non-refundable ticket, so I'm coming. (laughs) And hopefully someone can just sit down and talk to me about why they're uncomfortable and we'll work this out, right? Okay, bye. So that kind of stuff goes on all the time. And it, it, you know, it's very stressful for me because I'm like, I got to have a scene. I've got to have stuff happening and something to pull the reader through. And then I have this scaffold on which I can hang the science and the, the information and the you know, without that, it's, yeah, ah, yeah. so um, that's behind the scenes. That's my life. The NASA people's <laughs> response when you introduced yourself is totally fascinating to me because that I, what the, the lines I'm drawing there are they know their science writing well enough to know who Mary Roach is, and Mary Roach shows up, and they freak out because they're like, <laughs> the cops are here. <laughs> and they, like, they just go and run. They're like, what do we do, man? They're watching us. They got a stakeout. Like, what are we? Is, is this okay? Yeah, it was. It well, I think it's just um, when you are NASA, you are not comfortable with anything that suggests death or harm or injury. Um, yeah. it's fact, they're taxpayer funded. So they're very, very concerned with how does this look? Are we going to get in trouble? Because so many times they've gotten in trouble. Like the astronaut brought the corned beef sandwich up on a mm. Gemini flight. And, it, you know, that everybody found out there was a Senate subcommittee hearing. They're always worried they're going to get loose funding. So I understand. But just kind of like, hey, people in public affairs, we have the same goal here. The goal is to get people interested in space exploration is oh, make sure everybody knows that the cadaver was pre-dead it was pre yeah. it was dead yes it wasn't it was going pre-dead. to feel anything it was pre-dead no. <laughs> so <laughs> my 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 brain went to my brain went to uh, if tracy were ever allowed to go up to the international space station and they gave her you know so much weight to take with her right personal items mm-hmm. uh how would she get that slow cooker on to the ISS? <laughs> Look, I mean, <laughs> if I were able to do the advanced research that would tell me that I could slow cook some stuff in space, I'd, I'd be doing it, man. I might have to break down and use one of those weird like bag liner things, which which yeah. those creep me out because I'm like, there's something about the idea of, you know what's a good idea? Let's take plastic and heat it yeah. real, real consistently for like 12 hours. You probably won't get cancer from this at all, I swear. Like... <laughs> 
I I don't know, man. Uh, but yeah, for sure. Like if you if if they're not gonna stop me, I'm a I'm gonna make a brisket in space. <laughs> wasn't there wasn't there um you know that book Into Thin Air by John Krakauer mm-hmm. about the 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 horrible everything went wrong Everest expedition? Wasn't there a woman? from New York who brought an espresso maker. <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't know. I uh, but that would be the most New York move. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm kind of with her. I feel like I'm like, yeah, I want my, I want, I, I don't actually have an espresso maker, but, mm-hmm. um, but I love espresso. I could be like, yeah, you know, that would make me a lot happier. Yeah. Cause it's going to be difficult up there. All right. I at least want a damn good cup of coffee. That, I've seen that. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say this, the, the scene in season one of the expanse, that that I actually had to screenshot and tweet out was the 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 moment when James Holden walks into the galley of the the recently liberated Martian craft to find the coffee maker. <laughs> it's, it's, Priorities. It's, it's such a huge part of the books that he just has to have his cup of coffee. <laughs> And for him to walk in and find this coffee maker and just be so ridiculously excited, yeah, you know, I, I get it. I would have to take a coffee. Like it, I yeah. do that now. Like if I go over to someone's house, I don't know what they have. So I end up taking something of yeah. my, my own to drink. Yeah. 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 I have, a, I have a friend, a good friend uh, who has never in her life had coffee. As far as I can tell, really doesn't know what coffee is. And I went to see her. I went to, to stay there years back and she had purchased like these coffee instant pod things, not even <laughs> no. like, a, you know, with a special machine pot. What is that Nescafe kind of thing? Yeah. It's yeah. Just, just some sort of thing you. Is it like tea bags, but coffee? Sort of, yeah. Just like, Oh, um, yeah. and, and she's like, well, you like coffee. I'm like this isn't coffee. And she's looking at me like, yes, it is. <laughs> It's you know what it's it's a taster's choice. Yeah. It was, it was, mm, oh, I see what you did there, Mister Dad joke. Oh, ow. <laughs> but I mean, the, the, but in all seriousness, like Mount Everest espresso maker lady, kind of puts me. I remember vividly cruising around uh, Amazon about to feed my money to the Bezosaurus uh, at one point, and. Um, seeing a product that showed up on the people who bought X also bought Y sort of feed. And it was a thermal carafe that could fit in a, um, a car's cup holder for commuting purposes. But like the topmost bit had a button where you would hit to grind beans. And then there was like another button you would hit to like release the beans into the rest of the flask where there would already be hot water going. And then there was a lever that you did to complete the French pressing process. And then you just took off the top and et voila, you have completely as fresh as you could imagine, like glamping yourself a cup of, of fresh ground coffee. And I guess what that puts wait, me in wait, mind. Wait, 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 of, there was no, there was no steamed milk. What the fuck? Apparently not. No, this is just this no, must have been okay, the model down. You bring some of like on your way to uh, the trailhead. You just go into some fast food places and steal a bunch of those little half and half thingies. And, and put <laughs> Ooh, that, yeah. That'll work. Yeah. That'll work. Yeah. 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 But like, you don't think I was cooking a chicken down. over over a geyser? You could just take it over over you there. Could, right. Right. There's people who cook marshmallows out on the the lava vents. In Hawaii. But, but 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 you don't get the satisfying sound of the steam milk. Yeah. This is, I guess my, my my point in this weird Bezosaurus mechanism, which was <laughs> I think eighty or ninety dollars they wanted for this contraption, it was quite a lot, is Science is crazy. And the the sorts of things that we identify as a problem or a priority, like, no, no, we have to fix this. We have to know how to have this accessible to us wherever must have been, you must have encountered a lot of things in the course of researching for the first place and now revisiting for this new edition. The the things that we prioritize as, as stuff that we've got to know how to do in space. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The, um, the whole carbonated beverage, Mm. story um nasa was just bound and determined to figure out how to provide fizzy whether it was probably not beer although i think that would have been the astronauts first pick uh, like a carbonated beverage and the coca-cola people got involved in this and they figured they finally figured out how to do carbonation and they had this device and and, and um you know because it's a, you know bubbles rising to the top of the glass that doesn't happen without gravity because everything weighs the same so uh, they figured it out 
and they got the bubbles to work and they they carbonated, they made the, the beverage fizzy. And then the astronauts drank it and and the, the bubbles weren't rising to the top of the stomach where they need to go for you to belch. So they, oh, no. so they, they, they were just in they, pain. They felt bloated. And then if oh. they did manage to belch, they blew out liquid with it because there's just, you know, everything's sort of mixed up in the stomach. Yeah, yeah. Not like a tidy, you have the liquid and the gas at the top and you belch out the gas. Didn't happen. So all of this time and money went into like carbonation. So then, and then there was like the great wine in space. They just wanted to have a little drink in space. Mm-hmm. And they, and they ended up, they had to sterilize it, right? So they ended up with it sort of being like sherry, this sort of oh. cooked thing that was no, that no yeah. one excited about. And then, of course, the, the media got hold of it. Taxpayer dollars going towards drinking alcohol in space and the whole thing got canceled. Anyway, but yes, to your point, um, there's just things. And, and the whole business with a table. Like uh, the early spacecraft, there were no table because you can't put kitchen, you can't put food on it. You can't set the table. Everything floats off of it. A table is a stupid idea without gravity. But the astronauts were like, look, we are human beings. And at the end of the day, we want to sit around a table and share a meal with yeah. each other. We live in a society. The society is four people on this space station, but damn it. You know? yeah. yeah. So they did. They, so there's, they put back the table. I love that story. <laughs> that is amazing. Isn't isn't that where the the Coco Motion machine came from? Like they, I'm just teasing. But there, I, I do remember that machine. I do not. This no. was the machine that you would make hot cocoa in, and the whole concept of it was that it had a it had a thing. Is this that like was some ad scene moving. on TV thing? Or? Yeah, and it, yeah, had, okay. it had the thing like that was constantly movie? moving so that the the chocolate never just settled at the bottom. Oh, oh, wow. oh, so it just kept everything moving all the time. So, it's, so this is like the tornado cocoa. mug. Yeah. Wow. Oh, so it was, it was like a picture. little chocolate whirlwind. Yeah. Huh. But I kind of like that sludgy stuff at the bottom of the cocoa. Mug. <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, anyway. it's, at that point, it's like crude oil of, of the whole experience. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> wow. Cocoa motion. Was that a late night Ron Popeil pocket fisherman type thing? Something like that. And I remember I remember this because my my cousin actually bought it and used it for her kids. Mm. <laughs> oh. That's I mean <laughs> Yeah. That's they that's loved adorable. it because it was a thing, right? It was a it yeah. was a contraption. Yeah. It was a it was a it was a, oh, yeah. it wasn't quite a toy, but it was mm-hmm. it was a gadget. And mm-hmm. they could they could make their own hot cocoa and just have it swirling in this thing all the time and just kept it going. Yeah, you made you made your crockpot crack before, but in all seriousness, <laughs> like we no, I mean that's completely fair. Like I'm gonna own that. Um, but like I think everybody has some kind of silly object of convenience or comfort that we we would really move heaven and earth if we could to figure out some way to always have access to it. It's like, you have the, 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 the table story and the, the mm-hmm. carbonation story and the wine story. Like we, we want so badly to have the status quo of our comfort reflected everywhere yeah. we go. Um, it's really quite amusing. <laughs> there, but here's the, here's the, here's the, the truth of it. A lot of things that, that end up, being developed for astronauts specifically do sometimes make their way into just regular society. Yes. But thankfully not the fecal bag. Yeah. Yes. Not the fecal bag. Oh, but like, yeah. but like, like dehydrated things and powdered drinks and, and sure. stuff like that, oh, yeah. you know, and anything kind of miniaturized and, yep. and fireproof. And there's a whole lot of broad do you have technologies. A, yeah. yeah. Do you have a favorite piece of space age, innovation that has bled into everyday life that people don't generally realize they owe to to space exploration? Uh, I've seen, you know, NASA likes to do like press releases or brochures with, here's a list of all the things that have come out of space exploration. And there's a lot of, you know, stuff from solar panels and digital communication. But my favorite that's on that list, I swear, and I don't know why, is the sports bra. (laughs) It's on the list. It's huh. on their. It's on their list. I don't know why. To, yeah. Well, I, I guess. Mean, I guess an underwire, if because no gravity, so like the underwire itself is. 
But the sports bra is generally about compression as the method of contain. We are making Patrick deliciously uncomfortable right now. (laughs) I'm just going to say, like, I've rarely been so grateful for the video element of New Zencaster. Um, It's really, this is the gift that's going to, I'm just going to keep describing things for a minute. Yes. I mean, you (laughs) don't, in some ways, I mean, depending on why you're wearing a bra, if you're wearing a bra for you're a little bit saggy and want to hot. You want them to sit higher. You don't need that in, in zero gravity because they're going to be yeah. Very, they're going to be very. It's a great hard. equalizer. It's a, yep. They are a couple inches higher. Those babies. So I'm just going to continue for as long as we can make. <laughs> I remember vividly. Hey 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 hey! hey. I have <laughs> I have been I have been the interviewer of Gail Carriger when she's talking about stuff. Okay. Yeah, she's talking yeah. about this stuff, and 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 I believe the word was del, de, delicatage, delicate delicatage. Yes, yes, exactly. yes. Cleavage, cleavage. And yeah. I was like, yeah. I was like, Gail, I don't know that word. At some fancy and fans, I regretted French words that. was titties. <laughs> and I regretted fancy. that between so. the titties. Yep. Mm, yep. Yes. Yep. I remember vividly, vividly um, reading the audiobook for Arthur C. Clarke's Rendezvous with Rama and not being entirely sure that I was enjoying the story and what was unfolding, but feeling like, no, Townsend, you need to finish this thing because you are a science fiction um, teacher and this is the, 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 the literature that you that you research and that you work with your students on. And so this is a thing, right? And I'm powering through it and I'm powering through it. And there is a scene where uh, the captain of the mission has a sexual relationship with one of his crew members who also happens to be the only woman on the crew. And in the course of the sort of internal narration of his feelings, he, he kind of uh, reflects on how in general he has attempted to avoid relationships with uh, crewmates in space, but that it's, it's really hard to ignore what zero gravity does um, <laughs> to, to their assets. And I, I vividly remember Driving because I usually with audiobook uh, reading, I tend to do a lot of it when I'm working out, doing chores, or driving. I was driving in this case, and I was stopped at a light, and I just started screaming at my dashboard, like, <laughs> like, I don't know what this. It was a wordless keening that was not pleased um, because the framing of it was was way more performatively uh, masculine than needed to be in that moment. And I believe I have, I have in that single act and this, this needs, I need to emphasize that I live in the Chicago area. So people see frightening things on the road all the time. Everyone at that intersection, let me go first. (laughs) As soon as that light, like they were just, they, they were like, um, like looking over at me. And I was just, I was like still howling as I went through like, and I, it took everything everything to just finish the book after that point oh man (laughs) well i think we might be done now patrick we we might be safe yeah (laughs) i have nothing more to add to this topic (laughs) well i probably do but we're good for now I, I do have I will one. Just throw out, I will throw out the, the last part of the Gail mm-hmm. character was when she was telling me that they were doing an anime of Solus, or mm-hmm. not an anime, a manga. Yeah. And she had to, she, she gets the, the proof specs for the character designs and she's like, oh, no, 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 no. Bigger. <laughs> and oh, the artist went back and did something and came back and she's like, no, 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 no. Bigger. Whoa. Oh, oh, Gail. Because, oh, because the main yeah. character the main character is, is, is much, much bigger. And to the point where they get in the way in the context of the story quite, quite often. Oh, okay. So it's a point of humor. All right. It is. And, 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 but in manga, they don't do that really. They usually, they usually have, no, they don't, they don't draw that. Like they're, there's, everything is very, almost androgynous in, in, in this particular artist's style. And, and so Gail had well, to that, that are, Yeah, I don't think you've been looking at the manga I've been looking yeah, at. This particular artist, this particular artist, this particular artist didn't do that. Okay. And Gail okay. had to keep going back and going, no, 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 bigger. No, 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 bigger. No, 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 bigger. No, no, okay. bigger. <laughs> Never change. Never change. <laughs> and I'm trapped in the conversation. <laughs> I can't yeah. get out. That's why yeah. you want... You want the cord I, to pull the bus. And like, finally, this is my stop. I finally said, I said, Gail, I love you. I cannot be in this conversation with you. 
It's yeah, like when uh, I went, uh, my brother and I went to visit my mom when she was around uh, 80. Uh, and she uh, was living in a, it was like a community. You know, she had a, not a assisted living, but um, she didn't have a car anymore. So she, um, she asked us if we could pick up a couple things for her at the local Riches, which was like Kmart in New Hampshire. And we said, sure. And she said, I need a new bra. And my brother goes, well, what size? She goes, oh, I don't know, maybe. And then she goes, you know, I just, I just, uh, I just kind of lean forward and scoop them up. Cause she's like 80 now. And my brother's like, check, please. <laughs> I, am, I am done. I am leaving the room, Mary. This is on you. Mm-hmm. I just <laughs> lean forward and scoop that them up. That is amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. I think um, this leads me to what is, uh, for me, a final question, but I think a really important one. And I, I think, listeners, if you haven't figured it out already, this is kind of core to Mary and her her whole approach. But I'm asking this question because I feel like I know the answer, but I would love to know what your answer is. If you're doing science writing, why make it funny? I think there's a couple of reasons. One uh, is that it's just for purely selfish reasons. It's more fun for me to find things that are going to lend themselves to. I mean, they're just moments where I think this is going to be so fun to write. This is going to be, and, and I think that if it's fun to write, it probably is fun to read. Um, so, and if it's fun to read, people will like your books. And and uh, I'm all about that. <laughs> I And I think humor, uh, it's a way to kind of invite people into something that they may be uh, either uncomfortable with, like death or sex. Um, it's a way to kind of put them in a little bit at ease. And, and it's um, and a, just a way to kind of bring people in. Also, if they think it's, ooh, it's non-fiction, it's going to be a slog, it's science, it's going to be hard and boring. It's like, no, 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 it's going to be fun. Come with me. Let's laugh. That kind of thing. Is that what, what was your answer going to be? I mean, for me, a lot of that is is in line with my thinking as well. But I think the additional layer of it is, and maybe this is the teacher in me, I feel like the assumption that is made is that you cannot think seriously about something without just being serious all the time. Oh, yes. And I do, I do think there's real value in breaking down the assumption that serious thought comes only with like mm, the gravity of the face and like we must, yes. we must sort of like scowl at the work that we are doing, showing that um, something that is important to understand and to think deeply about and those deeper, more thoughtful questions can emerge out of an acknowledgement of sort of delightful absurdity is so yeah. important because I think I, I would never want my students to look at the world around them and to feel like in order to be counted as a seriously thoughtful and intellectual person, their only option is to sort of like kind of transform into the gray rock puritanical version of themselves. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Patrick, I'm feeling like picks of the week. what do you say? Picks of the week. I say yes. All right. (laughs) Lead us off, sir. What's your pick? Indeed. My pick this week is a documentary from Amy Poehler. And it's, uh, if you know Amy Poehler, uh, Parks and Rec is a, is a, or SNL, right? But uh, Parks and Rec. And it's called Lucy and Desi. It's on Prime. And it utilizes audio tapes provided by Lucy Arnaz, mm-hmm. uh, Lucy and Desi's daughter. They, they apparently Lucy and Desi would just record themselves quite a bit, and and they just had she had all these tapes of them, and then she had home videos and she had you know lots of archival footage and things, and it just basically tells the story of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. And, and how they met, how they came to fall in love, how they, they uh, came to be married, and why they started Desilu, why they started, you know, I Love Lucy. Basically, it just came down to they, he was on the road all the time, she was making movies, and they weren't spending a lot of time together, and they wanted to spend time together. And she had done uh, a radio program, and, and I believe it was CBS wanted to adapt it for television. 
And she put her foot down. She said, well, if we're going to do this, I want Desi to be the husband. And they didn't want Desi because Desi was Cuban. And she managed to, to get that the way she wanted it, right? Mm-hmm. And then they started Desi Lu to kind of control the quality because they didn't like the quality of the show and how it was being done. And and if we didn't have Desi Lu, we wouldn't have Mission Impossible. We wouldn't have Star Trek. We wouldn't have had the Dick Van Dyke show. We wouldn't have had all of the, um, oh, the the Danny Thomas shows. Like mm-hmm. all of the, that stuff came through from Desi Lu becoming a, a an actual television producer and then eventually buying... RKO and being a, a film production company as well. And and then it kind of goes into how they broke up and what happened there and then their later life and and how things ended for them. And and it's just it's it's much better than the uh film that they just did with Nicole Kidman. Okay. Uh and it's very poignant and I just I I adored it. So it, it made me go out and look for I Love Lucy to watch you know, and stream. And there's a couple sources where you can get, you can get some episodes on Paramount plus you can get some episodes on, on Amazon prime. So uh, you can go look and, and find some episodes, but I, I just really enjoyed it. I, I liked it. it, quite it a bit. Is it a coincidence that that's coming out at the same time as no, the- no, yeah. I don't think it is. I, so, I think so, so Amy Poehler knew that was in product. The other one was coming and, and, or yeah, that's, I, I, it's interesting that they uh, came out around the same time. I, I believe I believe that that I I, I uh, how do I want to say this? I I haven't read anything that Lucy Arnaz was unhappy with the movie. She did some promotion for the movie with Nicole Kidman, mm-hmm. but the the main criticism of the movie that they did is that it's not funny. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, there's no humor in it because it it's dealing with a specific snapshot in time where it came out that that Lucille Ball had marked herself as a communist on her voter registration mm-hmm. uh, and had done that a very long time ago. And she did that basically because her grandfather was a communist and he believed that they should all be. And kind of to make them the to make him happy, the family did that. But they didn't necessarily live as communists they didn't they didn't believe in any of the the political stuff that was going on at the time they just did it to make grandpa happy and to kind of shut him up if that makes sense Hmm. and and so that's what the movie's focused on and and uh, a lot of criticism that's been leveled against it it's like you have a movie about lucille ball with zero humor in it what the fuck's wrong with you (laughs) <laughs> and and I kind of feel like the the docu the documentary is is almost like a counterpoint to that because it goes into depth of Lucy did not feel that she was funny. She didn't huh. think that she was a funny person. But she was able to put herself into these funny situations, humorous situations that made people laugh. But she herself didn't particularly feel that she was very funny, Can which I thought was, was interesting. I'm sorry. Yeah. I said, can totally relate to that. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and so you have you have there's a lot of interviews with women who who came after, who felt fostered by Lucille Ball. So you had Bette Midler, and and I know that Amy Poehler has talked about this in the past that Lucille Ball was a huge influence on her as a comedian. I know that. Uh, oh, I'm I'm so terrible with names, but Tina Fey is the other mm-hmm. one I was. So Amy Poehler and Tina Fey are, are very good friends and they have both talked in the past about the influence of, of Lucille Ball because not only was she funny, not only did she sort of cornerstone this television show for so long that came in, you know, that was the huge hit. She also was a studio head, right? She, she ran things. She made decisions. She did all this stuff before anybody else ever did. And, and so she's a huge role model. So I, I just watch the documentary. It's, it's a fantastic documentary. I love it. Yeah, fantastic. I hadn't heard of it. All right. Thanks, Patrick. So yeah. Mary, how about you? Okay, I have discovered this past week, it's, it's a show probably you guys and everybody else have known about for quite some time because it's on season two, but I just started watching it. It's How To, John Wilson. Oh, cool. Do you know this show? 
Yes. Uh, the running joke of the podcast is that I know almost no television <laughs> because I have two children and grades at home and trying to write books and stuff. But please go on. <laughs> it's very hard to explain it. And because um, it's it's how to and it's things like how to cover your furniture, how to be spontaneous. And but but there there's really very little in, in each episode that addresses what they're about. It's just John Wilson being John Wilson. He is a nerd who lives in a little shitty cockroach ridden apartment uh, with this hilarious downstairs landlady who cooks him things and leaves them on the, on the landing. And he goes out with, he must carry this camera everywhere because he it's, it's a very much a New York show. There's just mm -hmm. footage of, it just makes you love New York, just very odd people caught in very strange moments. And he works that into the narrative in a way that is, just surprising. It's just very, it's hard to explain it. And, and you watch the show thinking, okay, this is going to be about this. And it's nothing about that. And I'm not really doing it justice, but it's, it's, and, and I realized I saw that Susan Orlean is a producer and I thought, well, that makes sense because she has this real affection for real people. It's definitely, and he's constantly just like knocking on doors and stepping into people's lives. And he has this, that just, he has them hold this, you know, circa 1967 microphone <laughs> that he <laughs> is using. And, uh, and it's just delightful. It's very um, uh, unlike anything you would see on very television. Cool. Yeah. That's super cool. I'll have to check that out. I love so, that kind of stuff because I'm always yeah. trying to figure out how to do stuff. I, yeah, I, I it, always. You might learn a little bit about how to do something. <laughs> but, but like he has one on how to make risotto and he, he never... <laughs> comes close to making good risotto, but um, it's, it, it's very funny. That's really cool. It's more the, it's, it's about the journey. It's about it's the journey. It's definitely about the journey of John Wilson. <laughs> he has a very unique delivery and <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So my pick of the week, I just finished uh, the fourth Wayfarers book. Um, the Wayfair series is written by Becky Chambers. And actually, um, the week that we're recording this, the Hugo Award nominations were just announced. And this particular book actually is on the ballot for Best Novel for 2021, um, the, written in 2021. It's the 2022 awards. Um, it is The Galaxy and the Ground Within. And uh, for, for those of you who don't know Becky Chambers's work, uh, last week's guest, John Scalzi, I referred to his work as being very high concept in nature. It's got like this very glossy, you can say it in a sentence and people are like, ooh, what's going to happen there kind of situation. Uh, Becky Chambers' science fiction is not high concept at all. Um, it is very quiet. Like it's set in space with tons of crazy, interesting alien races of different types. And I love the sort of like anthropology and xenology of the, of the alien races. Cause she goes to great lengths to make sure that she's not just like, and this is a human with pointy ears. So this is a human with a funny forehead and so on. Um, they are all very, very culturally, linguistically, morphically distinct in cool ways. Um, but her stories are never super high concept in the sense that it's like in a world where things blow up a lot or any kind of <laughs> movie trailer quality, right? And so the, the whole premise of the galaxy and the ground within is there's this planet called Gora, which is Hermogian is a space alien language in her world, which is a Hermogian word for useless um, and all the planet Gora has going for it because it has no native life forms on its surface or anything. Everyone who lives on Gora lives in like these habitat domes that are completely controlled environments. Um, the only reason that Gora is a big deal is that there are tons of space travel tunnels that are local to it in its star system. And so if you want to get anywhere in the larger galaxy and you want to not be traveling for 10,000 years and you would rather get there in like a 10 day, you're going to need to hop into one of these um, space tunnels. And, and basically it's like a giant airport of a sort that in space. Um, and then something goes very wrong that basically strands all of the travelers and we're focused in particular on this group of travelers who are in a layover that was supposed to be just a couple of hours in sort of the equivalent of a, of a Angora's surface bed and breakfast that they, they thought they'd just be spending the night in, but now they're stuck. 
um, while these repairs to the system that they need to to travel through are happening. And for various reasons, each of them has a very different, often secretive reason why they're very anxious about possibly missing their travel window. And we discover over time what's going on with these different creatures, none of whom are human beings. Uh, there's one that's basically like a space alpaca. Uh, there's one that's a space lobster. There's one that's basically like a space pterodactyl in a mecha suit. Um, there's a space fish lady who communicates using colors on her cheeks. And they are wonderful. And I want to spend all of my time with them. Uh, plus, Rachel DeLude's narration of the galaxy and the ground within is just lovely. I highly recommend it. Very cool. Great. All right. So, Mary, we've gone on quite a journey here from space <laughs> to titties to other things about space to a little bit about more titties again and poop uh, and things that we have loved. Where can people find you and all of your cool books? They can find me at maryroach.net. It's my dorky.net website, um, <clears throat> which has excerpts from all the books, I believe, mm -hmm. except maybe Packing for Mars for Kids. Um, and uh, there, all the books are all Twitter. I'm Mary underscore Roach, and the books are all you know in, where books are sold, as they say on NPR. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for Except being with us, Mary. Oh, thank they you, do. guys. They do. They do. We're, yeah. we're more loud and strident than NPR. Books, NPR, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had a great time. You guys are awesome. Thanks. Spring will be sprunging. Springing? Eh, I don't know. But anyway, it's happening soon, and that means it's time for a new bumper. First on the agenda, Beyond the Trope. Giles and Michelle over at Beyond the Trope should be scratching their ears and wondering who's been talking about them. It's me! I've been talking about them here and in other places like Capricorn 42. Why? Because they have a pretty nifty little podcast. They talk to authors and artists just like we do and release episodes on Tuesdays, just like we do. So if you subscribe to both our podcasts, it's like getting a double feature every week. In other news, I mentioned before Capricorn 42. That's because Tracy and I had a lot of fun there, especially spending time with several of our patrons. Becoming a patron doesn't just mean you get to hang out with us at conventions, although you might. It means also getting access to things like monthly hangouts, a patrons-only episode of the podcast every month, and even a private Facebook group where we talk about extra nerdy things. It's as close to the green room for the show as you can get without, you know, actually being in the green room. Check out patreon.com slash functionalnerds for more information about becoming a backer. What's next? Well, I'll probably have to record another bumper. But that's easily days away, or more, who knows. <laughs> time, time is so stupid. Mr. Carpiers, you got it right, how about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> I'm so excited.